the questions the boys uh, passed out are intended for really for their age. However, there were some that would like to have those and so it'll help you follow along and you can also add other notes to those if you des desire. Now, as far as the very bottom of this particular one, that's something for you to do as we go through it or something you can do at home. Um, I do have a slide that shows the right answer, but I don't think anybody will have any difficulty with it. And I don't have handouts for every lesson that we'll be involved with throughout the Sermon on the Mount. The majority of them from here on out I do have, but there are a few that I don't have. For various reasons, I didn't deal with some of the things that we'll deal with in this series of lessons. But we're dealing with the idea of blessed are the meek in this particular lesson. The multi-billion dollar enterprise of the entertainment industry is one of the largest economic enterprises within the world, not just in the United States, but within the world. In fact, it's probably the largest economic enterprise of all time. It is, its great aim is to help us to get away from sorrow. It is to help us to get away from mourning. The world says, eat, drink, and be merry. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor, or blessed are uh, those that mourn, or they that mourn. The world says, you can't get too much fun. But Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. The world says, don't get too serious. Don't think about sin. Think about happiness. But Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. The world says, shun mourning. But Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. The world says, forget your sorrows. But Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. Now complete, it's really the complete opposite of the philosophy of men. Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. But notice the paradox within this passage. Happy, blessed, are they that mourn? Happy are they that mourn? I mean, there's a definite paradox within this. How can people be happy if they are mourning? I mean, that's really the question that we have to answer. And our purpose really is to answer that question. What does Jesus mean by mourning? How can a person be happy when they are mourning? Now, notice the contrast that's found over in Luke, the sixth chapter. In verse number 21, the latter part of the verse, he said, Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. But now notice the present tense, blessed are ye that weep now, but then the future tense, that ye shall laugh. And laugh doesn't mean like bursting out like uh, Bill does sometimes in laughter. <laughs> it's... it's doesn't mean that way. It means actually more the idea of joy. And then verse number 25. Woe unto you that laughed now. For ye shall mourn and weep. 
Remember, the Beatitudes are not disconnected thoughts. And I think it's so important for us to recognize as we go through this study that it's, they're not disconnected. The thought must be tied back to the previous statement. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mourning, then, is the natural result of being poor in spirit. So let's look at this idea of mourning from a biblical standpoint, and then we'll look at some other things about it. And the first is that mourning is, the, is spiritual in nature. Just as a person must be spiritually poor, a person also must mourn in some spiritual sense. Now, in other words, what I'm really talking about and, and what sometimes people apply this is, that, well, when you're mourning over maybe the death of a loved one, well, we all mourn over the death of a loved one. We'll not see him as far as this life is concerned and maybe never ever again. So we mourn over those things. But is that what Jesus was talking about? I don't think so. It has nothing to do with mourning over the death of a, of a lost loved one. It has nothing to do with weeping over the financial loss that a person might have. I remember reading stories about those in, in the roaring 20s that lost everything at the Great Depression. And they were mourning over their financial loss. And I found it interesting a few years ago under a different president and when he took office then the economy collapsed and a man that was a multi-billion heir had lost about four billion dollars overnight. I could imagine the depression that he went through. Of course he still had several billion left but nonetheless he lost several billion dollars. Not millions, billions. But this is not talking about such things like that. Or it's not talking about the natural person or the natural scheme of things. And there are all kinds of reasons that we might mourn in a natural way or in the natural scheme of things. This spiritual mourning, furthermore, is not some spiritual facade. Now that's that's what the Pharisees did in their day. Some pseudo-piety of the Pharisees as they would walk around. Now Jesus addressed that over in chapter 6 and verse 16, where they would put on a sad countenance and disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to mourn. But that's not what we're talking about. That's not what this is talking about. The Puritans of the past centuries would also assume some pious appearance which is not natural. And it certainly wasn't genuine. And it certainly was not from within. Now interestingly, it's the opposite today. Instead of a pious look, we put on a supernatural appearance, a supernatural or superficial, rather, a brightness. We put on a superficial, jovialent appearance. Well, let's notice some examples of mourning. The first one that I chose is that of Christ. 
We know that since Christians strive to be Christ-like, Jesus should be our primary example. As we examine Scripture, and specifically as we examine the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it is interesting that we find Jesus on occasion was angry, as in John chapter 2. He was also on occasion, he was hungry, as in Luke chapter 4. And there were occasions in which he was thirsty, as in John 4, or, or when he was upon the cross, John 19. But do you realize that you don't find any examples of Jesus laughing? Do you realize that? No. As Isaiah prophesied, he was a man of sorrow, Isaiah 53 and verse 3. John 11 and verse number 35, the shortest verse in the English Bible. Be careful by saying that it's the shortest verse because it's not the shortest verse in, in different translations. And it's certainly not the shortest in the Greek text. But nonetheless, the shortest verse in the English Bible. And it is interesting that one of, my, one of the instructors where I was working with the preaching school, they would let the students pick, or he would let the students pick their memory verses. And you know what many students picked? John 11 and verse 35. Well, I thought it was kind of foolish for him to let them pick, but nonetheless, that's what he did. And if I was a student, that's probably what I would have done too. But in John 11 and verse 35, don't you find it interesting that Jesus wept not because his friend Lazarus was dead. He wept because he had compassion on Mary and Martha. I find that very interesting. As Jesus overlooked the city of Jerusalem, he also wept for it and wept over it. Luke 19, verse 41. Paul is another prime example he sorrowed for his sins. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 24, listen to the words of, of Paul. He said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? You could just hear the groanings within Paul as he thought about his own sorrows and his own weeping. Then later on, or earlier in the chapter, verse number 18, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to wit is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. Paul struggled within himself over his sorrow and over his sin. And we struggle sometimes with that. As well. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 4, he groaned over his own mortality also. For we are for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, be burdened, not for that which we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up in this life. You see, while we're in this life, while we're in this mortal body. There are things that come upon us. And it, 
it's not something that sometimes we can control. Sometimes we're tempted because of things that are on the outside, and there are things that we have to be subject unto. And Paul dealt with those things within that particular chapter. And even though we have to be subject to that, we can still look forward to life eternal. Solomon also taught the value of mourning. If you will, open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I want to read this entirety because I think it's very important for us to know this. In fact, this is a text that I've used actually at funerals at different times because I think it's good for us to go to the house of mourning. So Solomon knew the value of mourning as opposed to merriment. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 2 through 6, there Solomon, if he be the writer, wrote, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and, all, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. And the fact is, when do you really grow? Do you grow at the times of feasting? Do you grow when, it, when it's the time of jubilance? Do you grow during the time of merriment? Or do you grow during the times of difficulties? I don't know about you, but I think I could say for sure for myself, it's during those difficult times that I learn to trust in God more and more. In our second point, we want to look at the fact, and this is really putting it back into the context of the Beatitudes. And look at mourning is grieving over sin. Mourning, remember, is the natural result of being poor in spirit. Now, we talked about being poor in spirit, and last week we pointed out we're standing before God. We see his magnificence. We see his greatness. We see his love. We see his mercy and his grace and his pardon. We see that he is perfect in every way. And here we are standing before God. How do we look at ourselves? I hope that we're poor in spirit, that we're humbled by that. Not that we humble ourselves, although there is a sense in which we must humble ourselves, but I think just the natural result of seeing the greatness of God will humble us. Can you imagine standing on judgment day before the almighty God, the creator of the universe, the all-powerful God, the omnipotent one that knows everything about us, probably knows us better than what we know ourselves. And in fact, I could say for sure that's true. I don't know how many hairs on my head, but God does. You ever think about that? 
Now, everything about us, we know. And even the, and I know Bill, even the lack of those. <laughs> yeah, he knows everything about us. And we're standing before God, sinful man. And we're humbled by that. How do we view ourselves? I hope we're looking at ourselves as the wretched man that we are. We grieve because we are full of sin, full of imperfections, and we find ourselves wretched. So what do we do? The natural result when we stand before God and we see His magnificence is to be poor in spirit, but then we mourn over our sin. I hope sometimes when you partake of the Lord's Supper, that sometimes you think about the magnificence of God, the magnificence of Jesus coming to this world to die for us, not for himself, he died for us. And the Father looking down from heaven, seeing the Son upon that cross, if you were the Father, what would you do? I'm afraid I would have ended the world. I would have brought it all to an end and destroyed all of mankind. But that's not the love of God. He loved us and we're standing there. We're poor in spirit. We recognize how great He is. And I hope that we mourn over our sin. So mourning is grieving over personal sin. We know we all have sinned. In Romans 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And something we pointed out last time is we looked at 1 John chapter 1. And in 1 John chapter 1, I think sometimes people overlook this very fact that, that in this particular section of 1 John, it is interesting how John delivers this message. He talked about something so positive, and then he turned around and talked about something so negative. And back and forth he would go. Go back to verse 5. In verse 5 he says, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. What a positive statement. Here it is about the God of heaven. In him is no darkness whatsoever, only light. But then he looks at man and he says, verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You see the negative of it? And then back to the positive, he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. Then we go back to the positive. He, or that's the positive. Then we go back to the negative, the pointing out, in, out of sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then back to the positive, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then back to the negative. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. But do we really truly grieve over our own sin? Well, brethren, I want to point out 
that if we don't grieve over our sin, we haven't given enough contemplation about our sin. It's also grieving because of the battle within. Now that's the very point that Paul pointed out. And that battle, that personal battle that each one of us have. In Romans chapter 7 verses 21 through 24. There Paul wrote, I find then a law. That when I would uh, do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? And this has been pictured a number of different ways. I've thought about it this way for years and and I don't know, maybe I saw it somewhere in the past, but it's interesting that sometimes I'll see it on television at different times where you have a devil on one shoulder and an and the angel on the other. And we're wrestling within us. Who do we follow? And we strive, we want to be right. We want to be what God wants us to be. But we struggle within. And sometimes we give in to our own temptations. But mourning is also grieving because of the sin of this world. I always think about, and I know I've used this illustration before, but picture in your mind the longest escalator that you've ever seen. Well, the longest escalator that I've ever seen is, is in Kiev, Ukraine. And at the bottom of that escalator, looking up, you cannot see the top of it. That's how long it is. You literally cannot see the top of that escalator. And one day, I'm going against traffic, and I'm going to the school, and, it's, and everybody's actually, it's during the afternoon, late afternoon, and everybody's going home. And so they're descending from the street level to get onto the metro to go home, and I'm ascending up out of the metro station. And I'm thinking about all those Kievites traveling down that escalator. And I think about the fact that most people are headed to hell and they don't even realize it. And I could not help but weep. Well, that is why Jesus mourned over the city of Jerusalem, where he said, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Could you imagine Jesus looking over the Kidron Valley probably standing on the Mount of Olives and seeing the city of Jerusalem and all the prophets through the ages sent to her and mourning over that city and how that God would even send more prophets and gather them up. Well, how do you view this part of Oklahoma? There's a vast majority that are lost in sin. 
Do you weep over their sin? Do you weep because of their sin? Do you do what's necessary in order to take the gospel unto them? And mourning is also grieving over the nature of sin. Now what I mean by that is God's hatred of it. In Isaiah 59 and verse 2, he said, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And so here it is. I mean, if people have sinned and all have sinned, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be lost eternally. Do you grieve over that? I hope so. The last point that we'll look at is the promise that's connected with the beatitude. Mourning will be rewarded with comfort. Now that's certainly true in this present life. Grieving over, the, over sin ought to produce repentance. Ought to produce the feeling that we want to be closer to God. And then also that will bring comfort. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9. Now, don't miss the point in the books of 1 and 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul convicted the church of sin. And in fact, this is not the only sin, but this is one of the sins that he convicted the church. Do you realize the book of 1 Corinthians, nearly every chapter deals with another sin that the Corinthian church had to deal with. And in chapter 5, they were, they were rejoicing because they had a man that, were, that was living in sin. And he was shacking up with his father's wife. Uh, could have been his natural mother? Possibly so, but more than likely, it would have been some type of a, another wife that he had. But he was shacking up with her and they were rejoicing over that. And he basically exhorted them that they needed to put away the leaven that leaveneth the, the whole lamp. Because the influence of sin would be great. That man, because of Paul's exhortation, had godly sorrow. And, and the result of his sorrow, then he must have repented. And that's how, this is what Paul was talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, they were made sorry because of his exhortation to them and his rebuke of them, but that ye sorrowed unto or to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us, in nothing. And so Paul's exhortation was difficult for them and they sorrowed over the sin that was within them. But they repented of it. And now Paul, basically in this context, he reminded them that they needed to forgive the man. And they needed to move on. Well, that's what we're talking about. When we see ourselves in the sight of God, we're poor in spirit. We sorrow over and we grieve over our own sin. But then, that grieving leads us to repentance and turning back to God. 
In James 4, verses 9 and 10, James wrote, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Now, such comfort then comes with the promise of forgiveness. So in 1 John, we noted that in verse number 8, it was the conviction of sin if we say we have no sin. Verse 10, it's the conviction of sin if we say we have no sin. But in verse 9 is the positive statement. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we didn't go on with that. We could have. But because in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, you remember there's only 10 verses in chapter 1. He goes back to the positive after convicting them of sin. He said, My little children, these things write I unto thee, hoping to come to the earth. My little children, that's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Sorry, wrong passage. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see the joy, the comfort that we can have because of the forgiveness of sins? You see... What I'm talking about is consider the joys of forgiven sin. The joy of reconciliation. The joy of being in Christ. Now Paul quoted from Psalm 32 and verse 1. And he said, blessed are those, or blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. I think that's what we're talking about. And I believe that it is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be comforted, or blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. You see, our sins are forgiven. In Philippians 4 and verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, Paul, how can I rejoice? I'm in sin. I've sin before God. How can I rejoice? Well, one way we can rejoice is because our sins are forgiven. But also that rejoicing will come in the life to come. Think about the book of Revelation and the promise that John recorded for us. When God shall wipe away all tears and we will see the everlasting comfort from our mourning. In Revelation 21 and verse 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no death, no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. You see, the things of this world, they're gone. The things of this world and all the things that are in this world, they're all gone. Only joy will be in the heavenly reward. Certainly, we shall be comforted. In Titus 2 and verse 15, or 13 rather, he says, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, 
we can look forward to that great and mighty day. Why? Because the joys of heaven, we shall be comforted. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Brethren, if we have done what God wants us to do, if we have been poor in spirit, and if we then mourn over our sin, then the comfort will be ours. We live in hope of eternal life, which God promised before the world began. Jesus said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We're not talking about the normal mourning of this world. Every day brings certain sorrows. Every day brings certain grieving. Every day brings certain disappointments. But when the last time, when is the last time you weeped over sin? You weeped over your own sin or the world's sin, or you weeped over the consequences of sin. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as unfilthy things or unclean things, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Because of your sin, because of my sin, Jesus weeps. But because of his love, Jesus paid the price for sins. So do you grieve because of your sin? You know, all of us at different times in our life have been caught doing something wrong. But the question isn't that we did something wrong oftentimes. It's how did we feel about it? Did we grieve because we got caught? Or did we grieve because we did wrong? We all make mistakes. But what's the reason for our grieving? Are we poor in spirit? And if we're poor in spirit... We then mourn over sin. This evening we do want to offer the invitation. There may be someone that would like to respond to it. And if you need to respond to the invitation, it is yours. Just together we stand and sing to encourage you.